Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Hannah Abrams, and I'm joined, as always, by Avi Cooper and Tony Brew. Hey, guys. Hey, Hannah. Hey. Good to see you both. How's it going there? The The leaves are turning, so I'm, I'm excited. I love this time of the year. Yeah, fall is very much here. Every two weeks, our listeners get a little update on the climates of our respective cities. What else is there to talk about but the weather, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, today we have something to talk about other than the weather. Today's episode, we are going to be discussing a rare condition that saw an enormous drop in mortality in the 1970s after the introduction of ACE inhibitors. So uh, because I said that the condition is rare, you know that it's not heart failure or hypertension or diabetic nephropathy. <laughs> Instead, it is scleroderma renal crisis. So, Tony, to start us off, what made you interested in looking into this? Yeah, it definitely isn't something I looked into because it is common and I was like, well, you know, I just got to learn everything about this. Instead, it was this realization I had you know, probably sometime in med school and then throughout residency that, yeah, outcomes for patients with scleroderma renal crisis definitely changed dramatically once ACE inhibitors were introduced in the 1970s. But the remarkable thing about that and the thing that made me really want to dive into this was I have always had this reflex of acute kidney injury. Oh, my God, are they on an ACE number? We, we must stop that. And uh, not in every single case, of course, but it's often something that we're cautious about using in, in acute kidney injury. And here is the exact reverse. Like someone had, who has scleroderma renal crisis and acute kidney injury, like the thing you give them to treat them is an ACE inhibitor. And I found that to be like kind of the antithesis of what I was used to. So I wanted to learn more. Yeah, that is like the exact opposite of what our general impulse is, right? You're usually like, no, no, don't order that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you're scouring the list to make sure, oh my God, they're not they're not still on their lisinopril, are they? So maybe to start us off, can you give us sort of a primer on exactly what scleroderma renal crisis is? Yeah, there are a few key features of this condition. Uh, obviously, you have to have scleroderma, and most patients present with an abrupt onset of hypertension and oliguric uh, acute kidney injury. And one clue for those of you who are like trying to make this diagnosis is that the UA is typically pretty normal, but the AKI can be pretty severe. Now, up to 50% of patients also have a microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, and I mentioned that because I thought Hannah might be intrigued by that a little wrinkle. I was immediately intrigued by that, yes. yes. So uh, you've mentioned that there are poor outcomes or there were poor outcomes before ACE inhibitors were introduced. How bad are we talking here? Yeah, decades ago, again, before the 1970s, the mortality for scleroderma involving the kidney was high, with renal crisis specifically considered a universally fatal condition. Um, so as an example- So pretty bad. Yeah, yeah so bad, exactly. That meets the definition of bad. Yeah, universally fatal is is on that list. And so in terms of data for this, right, so 1973 study looked at uh, 358 male veterans with scleroderma. And there was only a smaller uh, number of the 358 who had kidney involvement, but all 17 of those patients with kidney involvement were dead within 10 months of the, like, the point that the kidney became involved. And only one patient lived longer than even three months. But by the early 1970s, right, dialysis was not really a brand new intervention, at least, right? I mean, just putting patients on HD, would, you know, did that help back then? Yeah, I mean, they'd been around for decades. So you'd think, okay, if, if part of the problem with these patients is that they just have AKI, just put them on dialysis and that should remedy the problem. But dialysis isn't a cure for renal crisis. And so a 1978 study kind of makes this point. 
and it examined the outcomes of 25 patients with scleroderma renal crisis. All eight of those who didn't get dialysis died within six months. Okay, so you know dialysis maybe helps. So if you were one of those eight, obviously you didn't get the treatment, you weren't helped. But only one of 10 patients who were placed on dialysis survived beyond six months. So dialysis alone didn't seem to alter the outcome. But if you pair dialysis with another intervention, survival increased to 44%. And four of nine patients survived beyond six months. Right? So if you just got dialysis alone, only one in 10 survived beyond six months. But if you paired it with something else, that number rose to 44%. Is that something else, the addition of an ACE inhibitor? You'd think it would be given where we started, but no, actually, we'll come to ACE inhibitors later, right? This this study was published in 1978, so that's ACE inhibitors weren't really around. Instead, the intervention these people went through was a bilateral nephrectomy. Whoa. And in you know, two cases, they took out the two kidneys and then they also transplanted one. But the patients who did the best got the kidneys taken out and then they got dialysis or transplanted. Let's sorry. To fix the problem of scleroderma renal crisis, the patients were treated with removal of the renals. Yeah, it's like okay, yeah. So this patient has heart failure, so let's let's just remove their heart as the as the cure. I mean, that's that's what they did, right? Yes, they took out the kidneys, both of them. Yeah, this is like phlebotomy for anemia, a little, a little bit, but there was a good reason for it. Yeah, I mean, so I, I guess what this comes to is that the kidneys are not just the bystanders, not just the victims of scleroderma renal crisis, but mayhaps they are also perpetrators or perpetuators of the problem. That's exactly right. And we'll come to this in a little bit, but just as you said, Hannah, in scleroderma renal crisis, the kidneys are certainly the victims, but they're also the instigators. They're both. Yeah, it's wild. So so the study showing that bilateral nephrectomy had efficacy in scleroderma renal crisis was published in 1978. Captopril first sort of came around in 1974. So was that the first ACE inhibitor that was tried for scleroderma renal crisis? When did we move beyond taking out the kidneys, which seems like a drastic step? Yeah, because again, we mentioned in the beginning, the 1970s saw this dramatic reduction in mortality. And it, and it wasn't because everyone was getting bilateral nephrectomy. That wasn't the, the thing that changed mortality was, in fact, ACE inhibitors. And so ACE inhibitors were first synthesized in 74, as you said, and yet like pretty soon thereafter, we saw this this dramatic drop. So you know people were pretty hot to trot to use them. So I'll have to figure out like why that might be. But yes, Captopril was the first ACE inhibitor used uh, with the initial case report of two patients um, being published in 1979. And both patients saw dramatic improvements in their blood pressure and renal function after starting Capital. And they were followed out for 29 and 20 weeks, respectively, and they were doing great. And again, compare this to the prior studies where, you know, out to 10 months and everyone had died. Did they eventually do a longer term study, I assume? Yeah, we don't really have randomized control trial evidence. So it's a lot of pre post stuff. But we do have a 1990 cohort study that looked at 108 patients with renal crisis. And among those who did not receive an ACE inhibitor, the five-year survival uh, was just 10%, so pretty abysmal. Not that universally fatal that we talked about earlier, but pretty darn low. So that was the 10% if you didn't get an ACE inhibitor. But among those who did receive an ACE inhibitor, the the one-year survival was 65%. 
And so, you know, for the statistical folks, that amounts to a number needed to treat of less than two. And in medicine, that's pretty hard to beat, particularly if the intervention is like a pill. Like this is not transplant. This is just a pill. Yeah, number needed to treat less than two is pretty astounding. And so you've certainly convinced me that ACE inhibitors work. I am struck though, Tony, that they were tested really like almost as soon as they came on the market, right? As soon as they became available, they were being tried in scleroderma renal crisis. So it sounds like they must have had some sense that they probably would work, right? There was definitely a suspicion. And the use of ACE inhibitors like Captopril was definitely no accident. And that's because in the 1970s, patients with renal crisis were discovered to have very, very high levels of renin. And when you have high levels of renin, this leads to increased angiotensin II. And then this then leads to marked vasoconstriction and the resulting severe hypertension that these patients have. So renal crisis is multifactorial, of course, but one of the main features is this super duper high renin level. And so the hypothesis was, well, okay, if we can somehow block that with this new drug, maybe we can sort of ameliorate the effects. Wow. So the old, the reason that bilateral nephrectomy works is because it takes out the source of the renin, renin, which is the, the juxtaglomerular cells. That's exactly right. So it, you know, removing renin-producing cells with bilateral nephrectomy kind of stopped this process at its source. If you decide bilateral nephrectomy is like where you're at, fine, but you can also just block the downstream effects of renin with the ACE inhibitors. And as you can imagine, that's what became standard of care. People were not enthusiastic about bilateral nephrectomy followed by dialysis when they were like, Here, here's just a pill you can take instead. <laughs> Tony, did you come across any information as to why it seems like we don't use angiotensin receptor blockers as a class in scleroderma renal crisis? It's really ACE inhibitors that are used? I think one major reason it's just the most well-studied. You just have the most data for it. There are certainly recommendations that you can use ARBs as second-line agents for patients who are uh, intolerant of ACE inhibitors or otherwise um, have a contraindication to their use. I just don't think they're as well-studied. The efficacy may not be as good, but I don't know that data nearly as well, and it's certainly not frontline therapy. But it, you know, it makes sense, right? If mechanistically ACE inhibitors work, you'd imagine that ARBs would work as well. Yeah, fair enough. What, what I'm still a little bit confused about, though, is why are renin levels so high in scleroderma renal crisis? Yeah. And, I mean, I think that's that's an important question. And you know, if you think about scleroderma, some of this may, may make sense, but the pathologic process likely begins with endothelial injury. And then what this leads to is arterial narrowing. And so when you have arterial narrowing from the endothelial injury, particularly if it's for the renal artery and ar arterioles, you have decreased renal perfusion. And so what they found on studies is the result of that after a period of time is hyperplasia of the juxtaglomerular apparatus. And when that JGA becomes hyperplastic, it secretes more renin. And so it's really felt to be kind of the hyperplasia over time from the endothelial injury and the narrowing that leads to the, the elevated levels of, of renin. And there's, as you can imagine, other factors at play, but I think that's one of the main ones. Yeah, I'm sure that there's some some really interesting distinctions between that and other endothelial injury states that don't have the same physiology. 
And I think this is also where some of the microangiopathic hemolytic anemia comes into play, where in the setting of the acute crisis, when there's microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, that leads to an abrupt decrease in perfusion and, and potentially increase in these levels. Mm. So it's it's both a you know chronically brewing and then there's an there can be an abrupt change, or at least is the way I understand it. Interesting. Yeah, and hemolysis is of course like also vasoconstrictive. Right, exactly. Nitric um, oxide, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. So, but you know, there's it's interesting also because there there are other ways to block renin production. So beta one activation increases renin secretion. I imagine that beta blockers might have some effect on the system. And then the other option is going back to sort of med school, not a drug we use commonly, but direct renin antagonists like uh, aliscaren. Yeah. So beta blockers, I'll mention, there were some early case reports of patients with scleroderma renal crisis where propranolol was used for exactly what you said, Hannah, the anti-renin activity. And this was before the introduction of Capcapril. And you know some of the results were encouraging, but you know, again, case reports, tiny, tiny, tiny. But despite this mechanistic rationale, beta blockers are not typically recommended given the concern about the beta blockade leading to actual potential vasospasm from the sort of unopposed alpha. For aliskirin, and so I don't actually know how to pronounce this drug, so I, I'm, I'm pronouncing it slightly different than you because I've never prescribed it. I have no idea. Yeah. So here we're again at the level of case reports, and I'm really unaware of any control trials looking at this drug, so it, it's definitely not part of recommended management. I think this is one of those where people are like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, ACE inhibitors are so darn good. It's like, why are we searching for some other magic bullet? We, we got a good one. But it is worth noting that renin is not the only factor, and there are other things at play for example, um, increased endothelin-1 may have a role in this condition. And so the non-selective endothelin-1 receptor antagonist bocentin, that has shown some promising data. And so you can imagine taking a patient who has um, scleroderma renal crisis and saying, all right, we're going to give them an ACE inhibitor, but maybe if it's a really tough case, using something like bocentin as well to kind of handle the, the fact that this is in fact not a singular mechanism. But all in all, really nothing has supplanted the role of ACE inhibitors. They, they remain like, you know, on a pedestal for this condition. Anything else you wanted to mention, Tony? Well, uh, you know, I think anyone listening who knows the story of Captopril would probably want us to mention that story briefly because it, it's kind of fascinating. So I will mention it. So in 1968, Mark Bockley, he found that the dog lung ACE, right, angiotensin converting enzyme, was inhibited by the venom of the Brazilian viper, Bothrops jararaca. Now, how he found that, I, I actually don't know. But so, you know, ACE is inhibited by the venom of this viper. And they had been tipped off, I guess, by the fact that victims of these viper bites were often prone to collapse. And so they were like, yeah, maybe these viper bites are inducing hypotension. And so that prompted them to look into this, which I find absolutely fascinating. So this is 1968, you know, well before the ACE inhibitor had been discovered. And, you know, years later, Captopril was actually synthesized, and it is, in fact, an analog of this Viper venom. Wow. So for those of you working with interns, you can tell them, you know, hey, yeah, let's start this guy on lisinopril or, you know, a, an analog of Viper venom, which I think is pretty cool. It's true. And then, you you know, if the patient has a clot, you could send a Russell Viper venom test. Of course, exactly. There should be more snakes in our daily lives in hospital medicine. No, no, actually, there should. You not. could drive it to the lab in a Dodge Viper. Yeah. 
<laughs> the lab requires a drive. That's, I would say, problematic. I also like that. I feel like Captopril is a little bit of the forgotten ACE inhibitor. So, oh yeah, uh, shout out to shout out to Captopril. It's a great drug. The OG. Yeah, yeah, the, that's right. The OG. Thanks, thanks, both Rops, Jararaka. All right. Well, to rein it all in for us, Tony, uh, do you have any take home points? I sure do. So uh, first, the use of ACE inhibitors has resulted in a greatly improved survival in patients with scleroderma renal crisis. Two, it is because, at least in part, this condition is associated with markedly elevated renin, not renin, levels. And three, ACE inhibitors address the downstream vasoconstriction seen in the the setting of this elevation in renin. And I guess, you know, Captopril is derived from the Brazilian viper venom. Who knew? I think it's renin, not renin, is a takeaway of its own. Yeah, we we will likely have to post something about why we keep saying renin and not renin. The 1970s taught us not only all this about Captopril and scleroderma renal crisis, but it also taught us, uh, as we'll, I guess we'll have to post now, it is in fact renin, not renin. Uh, thank you, JAMA. Well, that wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Claire Morgan of NotOrderly.com is our audio editor, and we'd like to welcome the newest member of our team, Giancarlo Bonomo, a medical student who is joining on as a producer. You can join our mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. You can also subscribe to our Substack at TheCuriousClinicians.Substack.com. Physicians and other healthcare professionals can earn CME and MOC credits from VCU Health just for listening to this episode. For more information, visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash curious clinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians. Curious Clinicians.